This is the Doctor Who Podcast, and you are most welcome. Not like that. Like this. Oi, Harry, customer! Yes, hello and welcome to episode 270 of the Doctor Who podcast, where we uh, will be talking about, get it right, get it right, remembrance of the Daleks. I always get all the R's mixed up. I'm joined in the camper van by James. Hello, Leeson. And Luke from the Minute Minute Doctor Who podcast. Hello, Leeson and James. It's good to be back. That joke never gets old, does it, Luke? Which one? (laughs) The one that Leeson just came out with that you clearly tuned out of. Oh, what, the Minute Minute thing? Well, it's not a joke. It's it's an intentional, um, you can read it whichever way you want. Oh, okay. I thought it was irony, the minute Doctor Who podcaster and you're nearly seven foot. <laughs> oh, well, yes, there's that. But, but yes, that, that was commented on <laughs> by various people. But uh, but no, it was, yeah, anyway, never, ma- never mind. <laughs> Luke, it's wonderful to have you back in the camper van. <laughs> brain brain clearly not functioning uh, at this point. Well, that's reassuring because we've brought you in as our as, as our expert, our outside expert on remembrance of the Daleks. Oh, we we brought Luke in as an expert for our quiz, and he got all the questions wrong. So <laughs> don't worry. Yeah, because I kept on picking question number seven, didn't I? <laughs> that was it. <laughs> anyway, we're recording this on the evening. In fact, possibly at the very time that Deep Breath is showing at the British Film Institute on mm. London's South Bank, and Ooh. possibly in the company of. Capaldi and Coleman and I'm only using last names there because I'm not there now you see so uh, <laughs> but I'm just kind of hoping someone from the BBC got their tapes mixed up and they inadvertently bought the extended mix of dimensions in time or something and they're watching that instead oh you sound bitter there james bitter i'm not bitter but i am a bit disappointed i mean listen you and you went to one of the bfi or doctor who at 50 events didn't you last year yes but i mean i've, I've attended mm. the asylum of the daleks as well um so oh that's true yeah, that's yeah. true so you've been to two i mean luke went to many many more and i went to every single one mm. including day of the doctor and an adventure in space and time. I even got tickets to the premiere of season three of Sherlock. This is the only screening that I have not been able to secure tickets to for anything, even vaguely who related. And that's that's assuming Sherlock is even vaguely who related. But uh, yes, I am a little bit disappointed that I'm not watching it rather than talking to you two. <laughs> I think you should have your own chair with uh, with James written in spangly letters on the back. I think you have to pay for that. Either that or you need to have been in several films and then died. <laughs> Well, let's get started, James. (laughs) What, on the dying or filming? (laughs) I'll write you a script. (laughs) I can't read. Anyway, let's let's move on. (laughs) We're going to go through, well, I say listener questions. We have one listener question from Drew Walco. Are you two ready? Yes. Fire away. Okay, this is from Drew in the USA. As James and Trev raised their flags for the favourite Cyberman stories a few episodes back, I'd be interested to hear what everyone's favourite Dalek story is. Oh, do you know, when you said Cyberman then, I was I was straight in there. You I were would, going to say Nightmare and Silver, weren't you? Uh, well, I would have had a clear idea, at least. I'm not going to give away what, what, what exactly mm. what it would have been. But when the word Dalek popped up, it just my mind went blank. There isn't one that really... Well, you should have let Luke answer first then, really, shouldn't you? <laughs> Well, yeah, I'm, I'm going to back off. I'm going to back off and chew, chew my lip a bit. I, I've got the same problem. Um, oh, brilliant. <laughs> brilliant. When, you, when you said Cyberman, I was immediately in there with Earthshock because most Cybermen stories are rubbish and uh, that's uh, an exception. Um, 
<laughs> okay, I'll tell so you what Dal- then. Let's, let's, let, let's ignore what we were asked and let's just talk about Cyberman stories. Sorry, Drew. I've already said mine is Silver Nemesis. <laughs> <laughs> Luke's is Earthshock. Leeson, you said you had something ready to ready to say if it was Cyberman related. Well, yes, it, it would be Attack of the Cybermen or or Silver... Not Silver Nemesis. Um, Nightmare in Silver. <laughs> What's no. wrong with you? I, I, I like Nightmare in Silver. I, I do. I, I like the new Cybermen. I like the Cybermites. Uh, I don't... I don't quite see what, what what everyone's problem is with Nightmare, Nightmare and Silver. I may be I may be an idiot. I've, I've explained this on at least three occasions to you. Or certainly what my <laughs> my opinions were, and I think I think I'll just leave it at that rather than do it again. Mm-mm-mm. But I quite like Tomb. I mean, and yeah. uh, I'm a big fan of um, the Invasion of the Black and White Era Cybermen. Uh, yeah, but as, as far as Dalek stories are concerned, I don't know. I have ones that I have strong memories of. Uh, which is uh, Revelation of the Daleks and the Daleks' original serial, the first their first outing with the first Doctor. Uh, very, very fond memories of being introduced to that and it just being so alien um, mm. to the Doctor Who that I was familiar with. Okay. Luke, have, has your brain given you any inclination well, of what to say about this? No, well, this, well this, the problem with Dalek stories is that there are, in my opinion, a lot more good ones than, than, than bad ones. Mm. Um, mm. So, so it's a much trickier choice. Um, than Cybermen. Um, I mean, if I if I just have to go with childhood fondness, then it's probably something like Day of the Daleks. Oh, but that's but that's from, from from a Dalek perspective, that's not a great Dalek story because they're played yeah. by um, I can't remember what the name is, Messaline, somebody Messaline, and anyway, the Dalek voices are awful. Um, and then the special edition on the DVD, mm. they fixed the Dalek voices and then screwed up a load of other things as well. So there's <laughs> there's no perfect version of that story. Um, and then, I mean, obviously, I go, I go for the classics like uh, the two the two David Whittaker stories from Troughton's era, Power and uh, mm. Evil of the Daleks. Are fantastic Dalek stories. Mm. Um, yeah. And uh, and more recently, uh, yeah, something like Asylum, I think, is great. Um, and uh, Doomsday, I enjoy Doomsday, even though that's not primarily a Dalek story. That's, yeah, it's got that's Daleks a lot of, in it. Yeah, and they do kick ass for, <laughs> for a considerable <laughs> chunk of the plot. So. They do. No, so, yeah. I would have, I would have said Day of the Daleks uh, without any qualification whatsoever, just because I have a feeling that was the first Pertwee VHS I think I ever saw. I think certainly when I was getting into the show, when I was just going over the the watershed between casual viewer and passionate fan, a Day of the Daleks come up and just gave me that shove just when just when I needed it. But I, I think it's it's a good story, irrespective of whether it's a good Dalek story or not. Um yeah. I, I like the story. It's got the time travel element in it, possibly the first overtly timey wimey storyline that uh Classic Coup really did very, very well. And uh, I, I I just like it. I think it's one of the best stories. Yeah. And the special edition DVD for me just, just enhanced everything. It didn't bother me um or any kind of updating or multiple ogrons or new voices more daleks i just thought it, it, it's a brilliant story yeah i mean i've always enjoyed uh yeah day of the daleks but i'm interested Luke, which, which aspects of the special edition do you feel uh, uh were worsened well i just the the although they went to the trouble of tracking down a 16 millimeter camera the the new stuff is painfully obvious um Removing the no complications line, which I just think is absolutely hilarious, I think that was a, hmm. a travesty. As with so much classic Who, um, when they've done CGI effects, sometimes it works. I mean, I think Invasion of Time, for example, is really enhanced by those CGI effects. But for the most part, I think it's best just to leave them alone. 
Um, and so for me, the major benefit of the special edition is Nick Briggs doing the Dalek voices. Um, yeah. But other mm. than that, other than that, I would just say no, no, watch the original. Uh, the thing is, I, I didn't even notice. I mean, I think, Luke, perhaps because of what you're interested in, certainly filming and uh, videos and stuff, you do it for a living, it's going to be yeah. much more obvious to you. Whereas a complete Luddite, where it comes to technology and stuff like me, it makes no difference whatsoever. And there's no way that I could ever tell what was recorded specially for that release and what was original footage. Um yeah. You know, unless there was some kind of subtitles, which I know you can put on the information text, mm. I would have absolutely no way of knowing. Um, CGI on Classic Who, again, for me, I quite like. Um, the thing that I would object to was not having an option to watch it as it was transmitted at mm. the time. And mm. you, you've, they've, they've never released any story whereby you can't have that option. You can just turn it off. And, I, and for that reason, I really like the truncated versions of Enlightenment and Planet of Fire as well. I think uh, what they've done there is is excellent. And there are times when I think, yep, I fancy Enlightenment in an hour and 15 minutes. And other times when I watch the episodic format and watch it perhaps one episode a night over a, a week. And I'm, I'm glad that the DVD gives you the choice there. There's another choice that, that the DVDs offer that, uh, that I like to exploit. Uh, and that's and that's the use of a 5.1 surround mix. Ooh, yes. And funnily enough, <laughs> the story we're meant to be talking about has one of those. <laughs> Segway. Did you did you see that one? No. What what point have we got to when Leeson has to bring us back on track? Davros, the hand of Omega is not to be trifled with. I think I am quite capable of handling the technology. I sincerely doubt that. Does it worry you? Doctor, that with it, I will transform Scarrow's son into a source of unimaginable power. And with that power at my disposal, the Daleks shall sweep away Gullifrey and its impotent quorum of Time Lords. The Daleks shall become Lords of Races conquer their galaxy, unimaginable power, unlimited rice pudding, etc., etc. So, remembrance of the Daleks. Uh, presumably, remembrance is, is a reference to the casket. Um, but to me, revelation of the Daleks should have been called remembrance of the Daleks because it was set in a funeral parlor. But that's that's a discussion for the uh, couple it of weeks. It could also ago. have been resurrection, given that Davros came back to life after his head was shot. Yeah, was his head shot? Yes. Yeah, well, there was there were two there were two Davroses in Revelation. Weren't there? there was the one in the tank yes. who kind of got shot by Orsini, and then the real the one. lure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we start off this review by saying it doesn't really matter what you call it. Any of the three eighties Dalek stories beginning with R are fundamentally interchangeable. Yeah. They are, and th- this and Remembrance of the Daleks had always been traditionally been, despite me remembering it from when I was a child, been. The, my least favourite of the three. W- watching them again now, uh, I, I realise it was the wobbly Daleks where they used the they used wheelbarrow inflatable <laughs> wheels in order to make the Daleks a bit more all terrain. But the effect that they ended up with was they got like wob- wobbly Daleks who looked like they had a few too many down the pub at lunchtime, um, which indeed the operators may have had. But, <laughs> but it's, it's it's not an effect you want to see on screen. 
Uh, and I, I'd got, and this is uncharacteristic of me, I'm normally quite forgiving of, uh, of the latex master wobbly monsters, the unconvincing effects, but I'd got kind of focused on that and I thought <laughs> that it represented the whole story. Well, I've never heard this before, ever. I really haven't. I don't like this story because of the wobbly Daleks. Mm, mm, they no, do because... they do wobble a lot though, don't they, Elise? And it's it's definitely yes. a, a fact of the production that I've noticed and gone <sighs> But then if you take a Dalek out on location, uh, that's what happens really, isn't well, it? Exactly. What about K9 on location? He wasn't exactly, you know, a, a speedy robot dog in a convincing way. I mean, how, how can you um, not enjoy a story because the props don't work in classic Doctor Who? No, no, but, but I mean, this it, it, is pretty dire, uh, and, and it has been done before, where, where uh, they've taken Daleks out on uh, on location, and and they've built them little runners to make them glide. I mean, this this was the key um, thing about the Daleks was they were meant to glide along the floor, uh, and and they don't glide in Remembrance of the Daleks. But I've forgotten all that now because I, in, over the past two or three months, I think I've watched Remembrance of the Daleks nearly three hundred times. <laughs> <laughs> because my son has become a Doctor Who fan. Oh, I wonder whose oh. fault that might be. <laughs> I've been engin- I've been engineering it now for nearly three years, and finally it's happened. And I, oh, I've created a monster. <laughs> Go on in. How how did you decide? This is you know bearing in mind a pretty gruesome Seventh Doctor story. The era is arguably one of the most inaccessible for anyone, let alone a three year old. It's certainly one of the most violent of the Seventh Doctor stories. And you think, hmm suitable material to get my three-year-old into Doctor Who. I thought lots of Daleks from the start, so there's no boring talking for him to get bored in, and um, <laughs> lots of explosions. And sure enough, it's a winner, but we have to watch it every day. Every, I mean, every, every, every single day we have to watch an episode. Uh, so as a consequence, I've actually grown to love it. Um, oh and then hate it, and then love it again, and then hate it. I'm on loving it again at the minute. Um, but I, I've I've seen seen so many more layers to it, and, and seen so much more in it that, than I ever had done before. And I sort of appreciate why people love. Well, it so much. Do you have conversations with your son about it? What is it that he he says that he enjoys so much? Well, he he picks up on 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 little bits. He, his his latest question, which is quite deep for a, for a two and a half year old, was, "Are the Daleks alive, Daddy?" <laughs> And I thought, oh, he's, he's finally starting to get it. And it's during one of those moments when uh, the, the innards of the Dalek are all um, displayed. And that's something that this story does really well. Uh, and I remember being quite striking when I was a child, when McCoy gets uh, clawed as he looks into an Imperial Dalek. Yeah. Um, so it's really starting to fire his imagination. And, and he's picked up so many little lines from it. Uh, yes, sir, is my favourite. <laughs> uh, because I, he says that whenever I give him an order now. Brilliant. So that's a lot then. Getting mm. the beer from the fridge. <laughs> yes, yes, sir. And he, he does a little foot stamp and, and does the salute oh, as well. Amazing. Amazing. It's funny. I, I think you may end up going through a period, perhaps not in, in a not too distant future, where, whereby you may have to not show him Doctor Who because I mean my daughter is nearly six now and uh, she's never really shown a, a huge interest in Doctor Who uh, despite me putting in a bit of effort to to try and get her into it when she was a bit mm. younger she's intrigued by Dalek she says exterminate she knows the Doctor and Amy uh, are in the TARDIS so I suppose in years to come if anyone asks her who was her Doctor she'll remember Matt Smith and uh, 
Karen Gillan. Mm. But now it, 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 you start showing her Daleks, and I'll tell you, at least, and you get far more difficult questions. You know, it's, are they dead? What's dead? Where did they come from? How did I get here? Why am I born? What happened before I was born? And all yeah. of a sudden, you're into <laughs> the territory that parents simply don't want to go. And you're there so quickly. And before you know it, you're sending them to bed. <laughs> just to get out of answering the questions it's while you work out the answers while you google the answers yeah where did we come from you get all manner of responses on that one you really do so but anyway what about a story should we talk about a story or is that is that boring no we should talk about the story Go on, it, Luke. You must you, you must have been quite young, presumably, when this went out. Oh, well, yes, I was four when this was broadcast, <laughs> okay. um, and and uh, no, I'm sorry, right. I, I did not see it on initial broadcast. Um, uh, the only oh, the only okay. bit of Doctor Who I saw on initial broadcast from the classic series was about a minute of Time in the Rani. Um, more on that on an upcoming episode of Mudwork. Plug plug. Boom, boom. Um, yeah, no, so uh, this this story, I think I was introduced to it because I borrowed the novelisation of a chap called Rowan Crawley, who was in the year above me at school. Um, he had long ginger hair. Uh, so, Rowan, if you're listening, hello. I don't know what happened to him. Um, so I borrowed, borrowed the novel, and I remember being particularly struck by the scene where the uh, the soldier gets zapped in the uh, in the junkyard, which is quite gruesome, and I thought, oh, how is how's this going to come across on screen? Um, and then I did eventually see it, and it's not quite as graphic as the book made out, or at least my memory of the book. Um, and this is my f- second most bought Doctor Who story, after Spirit from Space, which I've bought four and a half times. I bought this one four mm-hmm. times, uh, so I picked up the, the VHS minus the tin and the chase uh, originally. Then I got the oh, WH yeah. Smith Davros box set, uh, which had all the five Davros stories in, and then two times on DVD. Um, so I'm quite familiar with the story, and on the whole, really, really enjoy it. Um, it's the 25th anniversary story that we should have had. Um, I know you like Silver Nemesis, James, but... Oh, I do. dearie me. Um, this is mm-hmm. Silver Nemesis done right. Um, plays <laughs> and with before the, Silver Nemesis as well. Yeah, and before, yeah. Plays plays with the series mythology. Um, I mean, yes, clearly can't spell I am Foreman, and the junkyard doesn't look anything <laughs> like it did in An Unearthly Child, but I, I love the way that it plays with this idea of... The Doctor, what was he doing in 1963? Oh, yes, he was leaving the Hand of Omega with uh, an undertaker who had a Welsh assistant, uh, who would later come back in uh, 2005. Um, so, yeah, it all, it all ties up this story, doesn't it? Um, and the, the themes, the underlying themes of kind of racial purity of the Daleks, blobs with bits on, as Ace calls them, and that kind of being um, juxtaposed with, with what was going on in the UK at the time, um, with the the no coloureds sign in um, in the in the boarding house window, um, and having a prominent black character in the the cafe scene with Sylvester McCoy, I just thought that that whole that whole thing is quite interesting. The way that the story plays that out. Now I'm a bit uh, older, and I've seen the the commentaries, and, I, and I've had it explained to me. I realised that, that, that there is this there was this underlying uh, sort of racial storyline to it but i do remember asking my mother uh what's the what coloreds meant when uh, during that scene um that andrew cartmel was quite pleased that they managed to, to get in where she, she finds the sign in the uh, in the guest house uh so it, it definitely got me asking questions uh, as as, as doc, good doctor who should um the actual production it's beautifully directed um and 
and sort of cracks on at a, a really good pace. And I think McCoy's performance, which I've I'm I've a love hate relationship with, I I think it, I think it's absolutely pitch perfect in this. Um, he he gets just the right amount of impish uh, excitement and and strange darkness and all the the Machiavellian aspects of his personality that people that people see are all coming to the forefront here. Because he's he's in charge of this this situation. He decides, mm. okay, what if I go back uh, and I set uh, a scenario where I can wipe out the Daleks, mm. uh, which is something that, as they say in the in the extras, it's, it's the Doctor going on the the offensive yeah. rather than being on the back foot. No, I, I think this story is, is is superb as well, and it, it's strange because you know a story you mentioned earlier, Lisa, and you're you're quite uh, fond of Attack of the Cybermen is often lambasted because of its you know, numerous continuity references. Most of them were mm. wrong and uh, were very, very confusing mm. to someone who hadn't seen Terminus Cybermen the day before they watched Attack. But this shows how a classic episode of Doctor Who can be very self-referential, laden in continuity, and still get it right and, and still be very accessible for someone who isn't familiar with the backstory. And it just rewards on a number of different levels. Everything about this story is is good. Like you say, I think the dynamic between the Ace and the Doctor is superb. It's a beginning of a new pairing, and it, it's really encouraging to see a dynamic develop so quickly. I love the way, you know, you know when they're in the van and the Doctor's explaining things, and at <clears> one point <throat> it goes black and they end up switching seats, yeah? Yes. You know, I, that, that was... In, it, innovative it was almost unprecedented that kind of direction and the exposition that was being given was done whilst there was some action taking place as well it was it was really really good like you say there's there's a little social commentary on it as well there's even an in joke which would normally i'll put it this way what would what would we have been saying had rtd put in some kind of self-referential joke like and now um, bbc one it's professor or whatever it is <laughs> you mm. know we would have been absolutely chucking stuff at him we'd have been very very critical of it and yet here all i do is smile because it just works it's not just that as well james there's there's also the the question mark business card yeah does that i'm not i'm not entirely yeah. sure that works that's quite it's quite funny there's, well, I'm, there's I'm happy the, with it the two, i can live with it there's the two soldiers called john and paul which is <laughs> obviously a nod to the beatles hmm. um and then and then the, the reference to Pe- professor quatermass um, yeah. in the cafe as well yes that's, that's, which that's, that's, again that that's not even a Doctor Who reference. That's for kind of viewers who remember the 1950s. Sure. But it, <laughs> and what but the BBC was churning out then. Um, but I think the, the reason it works, James, I think, is because these things aren't... They're not integral to the plot. They're just little things that are peppered around. And if you spot them, you spot them. But if you don't, you're not, you're not losing any of the story. Yeah. Um, and I think, that, I think that's why it works. The problem with Attack of the Cybermen is that it... it yeah, yeah. I think it relies too heavily on you having watched all those other Cybermen stories beforehand. Whereas uh, this this just kind of explains all the bits that it needs to explain, and and leaves everything else to the to yep. the viewer. Uh, if they know it, they know it. If they don't, they don't. No, quite right. And it, it doesn't matter if you don't understand half of the stuff that they're referring to. It, it it does work. I think also it rewards fans on a number of different levels. I mean, first of all, you're finding out a lot more about the Doctor's past that you know we hadn't done in an episode of the show in a very very long time. The Doctor knows what's going on. The audience and his companions. 
don't. It's quite a risky way to tell a story because you could lose the audience quite you know quite easily. But you don't. You you just stick with it. And and also for people who remember the unit era, of course, it's very very evocative of the Brigadier Chunky Gilmore, the the team that he had around him, who are now recording Big Finish audios, uh, countermeasures, very successful spin-off series, really, really worthwhile listening to. And it it, it just seemed to have got everything right. And and for me, I mean, I do like Silver Nemesis. You're, you're quite right, Luke. But I also accept that it's not as good a story as Remembrance. I, I don't think there is a better story in the McCoy era than Remembrance. It, it peaked on this story. And then it was the Happiness Patrol. And then we were back to... Very, very strange storytelling. I think. Yeah, it, it absolutely feels like a, like a like a gem, and and I like to watch this. Uh, well, I mean, I have no choice but to watch this at the minute, um, and and imagine that this is the rest of the McCoy era. Uh, JNT has asked me to put on another. Um, I mean, in fact, he picked Happiness Patrol. To, to this is not Radio Rassilon, Mr. Fisher. You need to explain who J&T is. You do not have some kind of Im- remains of a former producer watching television with you, do you? No, 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 no. There's, there's no, there were no ashes involved. Um, my, my son's initials, uh, quite by accident, uh, um, are, are, are JNT. Quite by accident. Uh, yes. Honestly, quite by accident. <laughs> quite I by didn't accident. realize until after. Love it. <laughs> so, so oh, I, you know, I, I affectionately refer to him as JNT. Uh, yeah, he, he hasn't had found the same bond with. Uh, I mean, he seen, certainly likes McCoy as, a, as a doctor. Uh, and has even got his own Doctor Stick now, as he calls it. It's a little umbrella which he purchased himself from a charity shop the, only the other day, <laughs> and then proceeded to walk down the street uh, as McCoy does, sort of using it as a walking stick, and measure things with it like he does the aerial. Um, <laughs> so he's, I mean, he's an absolute convert. But but it's this story that has got him, and it's it's, it's nothing outside of that at the minute. This is the the rem- remembrance of the Daleks uh, bubble that we're stuck in. Although he did he did like the Candyman a little bit. Really? Or does he not just prefer your impression of the candy man? I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Welcome to the candy kitchen, Doctor. Yes. yes. I'm saying I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Coming. <laughs> Dear, oh dear. Okay. Yeah, fortunately, there isn't anything in remembrance for you to try and emulate. <laughs> so, apart from those um, Dalek voices, perhaps, which, uh, which Luke, I mean, were, were those up to a suitable standard? I, I, I think they were this time. Yes, I mean, they're great. I mean, you've got, I think, Roy Skelton is still, still doing Dalek voices at yep. this point. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, and Royce Mills is on on board. I think he started on Re- Resurrection. I'm not so big a fan of him, but um, they're, they're definitely... They're definitely passable, uh, and and nothing like the terrible things that we had in in day. Um, I mean, I, I think there's, there's also the interesting factor of the 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 battle computer that the uh, renegade yeah. Daleks are using. Yeah. Um, which I mean, obviously, I knew when I first saw this what was going on. Um, but there's the whole thing of everybody apparently thought it was Davros. Yeah. No, yes. I I did absolutely. I did. Yeah. And it's a surprise when it turns around and it's the little girl. Mm. No, I and again, that, that's something else this story does really well. It does send you on the road to, you know, expect something, and then then it, um, it there's a little twist there. Um, I, I, again, Davros turning up at the ends. This I'm not quite sure about this 
disguise that he had. What was it? Was he Emperor Dalek, Imperial Dalek? I haven't seen it for a long time now. Yeah, it's em- Emperor Dalek, Emperor but Dalek, I think that, yeah. that comes, yeah. to, comes from the old comics. Yeah, and, and, yeah, and it looks like it has, frankly. It's got to be yeah. the, one of the most impractical Dalek designs anywhere. You couldn't get through any door, pretty much, on <laughs> on this planet, at least. Um, but, but I was going to mention Davros, and I, and I think perhaps if there is a failing in this story, it's probably the characterisation of Davros towards the end, because... In in Revelation, where we saw him last, and uh, you know, Lisa and Trevor and I were talking about that at your suggestion, and then you didn't turn up. But uh, <laughs> we um, we were talking about the, the psychosis uh, that Davros is clearly experiencing uh, in in Revelation, and he's still clearly a genius, a psychopath, yes. But when Davros is revealed in in Remembrance, he just becomes a simpering, shouty Dalek, really. And mm. I, I I felt he was kind. There was something. He, the character lost something because of the way that Aranovich wrote him in this story. He just turned up for a rant at the end, and, and it is sad. I mean, I don't think he even needed to be included. Uh, if we're absolutely honest yeah. with it, um, and I, th- I think it was just, uh, you know. It, he he appeared in every Dalek story in those days, and and I, perhaps that the, the token putting him because he only really appears for two or three minutes at the yeah. end um, was sort of an admission of okay, well if if I'm gonna have to write him in, then I'll just write him in uh, for two minutes and have him shouting at the end. If you you know you know writers obviously had some direction given. I wonder if it was inconceivable in the eighties to write a Dalek story without Davros in it. I think it had become that way. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, he appeared in every, every single one. No, he did. I just wonder whether that was at the direction of the producers or whether they thought they were onto something and the Daleks were simply not strong enough without Davros as a mouthpiece. I, th- I think that was the case. When I, when I was a kid, I, I was absolutely bonkers about Davros. I mean, and uh, I would have been very, very disappointed as a child uh, in a Dalek story that didn't have Davros. I, I mean, I, I, I'm not as hard on it as you, you two guys are. I think given where the last story left off, it makes sense for him to be in it because he is the ultimate explanation of why there are these two factions of Daleks. And mm. so for him not to turn up at the end, I think would have been a bit of a, yeah. I don't know. Okay. Um, it, anyway, I, but, I, and I, and I think, I think, I think, I think the rant works. Um, I, I like that conversation between the doctor and Davros. Um, I mean, it, it, of I course, just, because, because it allows for the, uh, for the, uh, Unlimited rice pudding. pudding well, line, I was just going to say that if 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 this was an RTD era story, and he was writing his if he was writing his production notes in in Doctor Who magazine, and he was doing the whole thing, and Ben Aronovich's script contains these three words, yeah. and one of them would have been it would have been it would have been rice pudding. No, you're absolutely you'd be going, correct. Oh, I'm oh, sure. I wonder how I wonder how they're going to fit that into the story. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I yeah, I just enjoy that because I think I think it kind of sums up the whole. The Doctor's being devious all story. Davros is obviously behind the scenes trying to outwit him, and he thinks he's finally done it. And he's like, "Yes," and then, and then it kind of flips on its head. Um, and uh, I don't know, it works I, for me. I I, think, I understand why it doesn't work for others. No, I, I would just say it's Davros who doesn't work for me. The the Doctor's speech is is absolutely fine. You know, I am much more than just another Time Lord, Davros. And of course, that was all fed in by Cartmel, I think. And I, I, mm. I think that is intriguing. And I like that side of the conversation. I like it when a Doctor knows he's one, and yet he's still quiet, fairly humble, and just 
stating the facts. I've beaten you. And Davros is the one who's basically crying like a child. Uh, but we'd never yeah. seen him quite like that before. And I think that's the reason why I have difficulty accepting that version of Davros. And, and I think w- when the character of Davros has come back in the big finishes, they, they don't go for the characterization we saw in Remembrance. They, they go before that and they they bring out the intelligent, the scheming, the Machiavellian, the brave, the mad Davros. And I don't think we see that in Remembrance. I, I like whispering, calculating oh, yes. Davros that we uh, that we see in Revelation, although we don't hear too well because of the, the poor sound. But um, yeah, but I, I much prefer that brooding Davros. I think overall that that is a that you 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 can't sustain a story with shouty ranty Davros. Um, so I think Revelation works much better on that that point because he's he's in it for much a much longer period. But I think if he's just going to pop up at the end, I'm quite happy for him to do a shouty ranty thing because it's. It's quite fun to watch Terry Malloy do that. <laughs> he does it very well. That, that's his great. It's hit. a bit like having Trevor on a DWP, isn't it? So <laughs> we need someone to shout a lot of rent. <laughs> Let's get Trevor in. I mean, as far as the, as far as the, the the performances sort of across the board in, in Revelation are concerned, they're all spot on. Um, uh, there's no there's no performance in there that I can think I can point out and think. That uh, they're sort of letting letting the production down. They've got some good names in there, some big names, some unknowns at the time, uh, who put in some really solid performances. I, I can't think of uh, can't think of any that, uh, that 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 I that I dislike, including including the little girl actually. Um, and that's um, and that's unusual for eighties Doctor Who to have the the, the kids and the, the good acting. Yeah, I think if it didn't turn out that she was possessed by a Dalek battle computer, I I think her performance was slightly odd. But when you when you real, when you realise that you go okay yeah that makes sense oh, she, she's um, quite she, sinister she's very she's very creepy she's yeah, very creepy yeah, yeah. and and I think a shout out for Keith McCulloch he doesn't get enough love um, his his um, his theme for her just adds to the creepiness um, in amongst oh, the kind of bashing I can hear kind of it orchestral in my head hits now. that he does <laughs> but yeah, the the kind of dum 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 well obviously he's, he's, it's not he didn't write it it's a it's a playground. Yeah thing but he's kind of taken it and put that sinister edge onto it and then there's the bit where she sings a part of it as well whilst watching mm. McCoy there's a doctor uh, and it just adds to the whole creepiness mm. yeah well there's actually this I mean and I, I noticed this now that I've been watching stuff with J&T that um that these little things are, are the things that get the kids and that was one of the one of the first things that he latched onto and he, and he, he often sings that now uh, as he's pottering about um I, I, you notice these things more when you when you when you have a little one with you, uh, stuff that um, either you you kind of turn your nose up at as an adult watching Doctor Who, or you just don't notice because it's completely bypassing your filters. Mm. That they're the bits, and you, and you can see those bits that that, that tap into the younger minds. Uh, you see how the whole tapestry of Doctor Who comes together, and it's it's it's, it's great. And this is a good story for that because. We both love the massive explosions, and, and we, we we would be remiss not to mention the the level of explosives that, that, that they get through in 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 this story, and and that they're um they're, they're done really well, and, and they they work really well, but um, absolutely terrifyingly 
large explosions. Was, wasn't there a convention anecdote that I've heard? I mean, one of the advantages of having a really bad memory like me is that I can hear the same anecdote again and again, and I still find it funny. But <laughs> I, I'm, I'm pretty certain that I, I've heard this many, many times, and that one of the explosions was much larger, perhaps when the, was it the Battle Dalek or whatever it is, Special Weapons Dalek, that's it, mm. was, was blowing something up, then... It went. It was so loud that people thought it was a bomb. They thought it was the IRA or some kind. Yes, I, I think, well, the, I think true, the police yes. were called in, weren't they? Um, <laughs> in response to that, in response to that, it was setting car alarms off for streets, uh, streets and streets. Yeah. And uh, re- reportedly, as the anecdote goes, the um, the fire brigade roll up to the because it's under the tunnel where the, where the two factions of Daleks meet, um, and the fire brigade pull up and trundling out of the smoke, uh, three Imperial Daleks appear. <laughs> Uh, and apparently the look on their faces was uh, was was something to behold. I, I've been to those arches. I've been exactly where that was filmed. In fact, it, the BFI is less than about a five-minute walk from, from that mm. location. It's very close to Waterloo mm. Bridge indeed. But, uh, yeah, one of the good things about uh, this story is that there is the London streets that you can go and... Uh, Go and watch, you know, go and look at now and see how they've changed, you know, 30 years or so after yeah. they, they, they filmed there. So I've noticed there are, there are at least two pubs that I'm hoping are still there, uh, and I'm going to go and visit them. One is, is by, the, uh, by the bridge, in fact. Yes, the, that pub is still there. Oh, good. I've, no, I've not I, been I'll in, see but you I have in, been there. <laughs> well, I'll see, I'll see you in there. Mine's a pint at of Listen, the yeah. amount of times we've tried to get you back into London, I'd be surprised if anything other than a pub manages to persuade you. So uh, <laughs> it's good to... <laughs> well, that, that... That specific pub, and bring some explosives. <laughs> if you want to see me running around those locations, it's episode 50. Um, <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> plug, plug again, yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it is interesting to see how they've changed, because under the arches on those bridges, there, there are now shops and things, mm. and they've kind of modernised the area. The, the bit round the corner where the, the yard, Ratcliffe's yard is has been completely transformed and is now flats, I think. Um, and if you look in the direction of where the shuttle flies over and Ace looks up, or I think it may be the opposite direction, you can see the London Eye. Mm. Um, <laughs> so in in remembrance, there, there were some incongruous 1980s tower blocks. If you did it now, yeah. there would be an even more incongruous big wheel. Oh, very much um, so. I noticed so. those tower blocks, actually. That's one of the things that, having watched it 300 times, I've started to focus on things in the background. <laughs> yeah, and you go, just to, just, hmm. Yeah, I'm going, oh, oh, Mike's reading a copy of the Daily Mirror. <laughs> and and the, the, part, the part where Mr. Bronson um, attacks Mike in the graveyard, is, is that there's, there's a block of flaps in the back of that. There is, yeah. Doesn't work. Yeah, and you just go, there are oh, also... not 1963. <laughs> <laughs> but I... I I've got no kind of hang-ups about these kind of things. I mean, there's lots of classic comedy when films or when TV series were recorded in the 70s. None of this kind mm. of stuff was paid anywhere near as much attention. And, you know, you, you can watch episodes of Dad's Army with cars that weren't invented for another 30 years driving past, you know. It was uh, very, very good. I mean, I still <laughs> I still can't watch Talons uh, without going... Oh, there's a car underneath that pile of straw. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it's it's such yeah. a well-known, well-known anecdote, and then oh. you, you you watch it and you go, "That's done very well," and then you go, oh, "That's because there's a car under it that the guy didn't move." Anyway, so I just you're right, James. Because of because of my profession, I get hang, I get hung up on these things far too much, oh, and I do yeah. think it I do think it slightly spoils my enjoyment of things sometimes, where I just go, "Oh, 
No, my brain is slipping out of suspension oh, of disbelief. There, there was a heck of a lot to be said for being totally unobservant and incapable of hanging on to anything, um, in, in my excuse for a brain, for more than about 20 minutes. Because stuff like that simply doesn't bother me. Even if someone points it out, I've forgotten it by the next time I see it. So it, it, it's, yeah. it's actually quite a good thing. Um, anyway, I, I think that's pretty much enough about Remembrance. We're going to go over to the Annex and listen to Ian and Michelle talk about the Eighth Doctor, Charlie and Cariz, in Other Lives. Big finish with Ian and Michelle from across the Atlantic Ocean. Ian from the UK and Michelle from the United States. Reviewing Big Finish, sorting out the wheat from the chaff and nonsense, saving you money on the ones that are not so good. This week in Other Lives, the Doctor, Caras, and Charlie quickly get separated and each face their own separate dangers, not the least of which is domesticity. So this story is set in London in 1851 and specifically around the famous Great Exhibition, the, the Crystal Palace, which Charlie has wanted to see and the Doctor is taking her to. The Crystal Palace, Charlie, or what came to be known as the Crystal Palace... Designed by Joseph Paxton to house the great exhibition of the works... The works of industry of all nations, Hyde Park, London, the year 1851. Yes, I know all that. What I didn't realise before was the sheer scale of the whole thing. I... It's incredible. Keres doesn't look impressed. Why the Crystal Palace? I can't see any crystal. Somewhat surprisingly, because I wasn't expecting this, it's a pure historical. This is just about the Dr. Charlie and Carriers and how they interact with the people of the time. And in keeping with the sort of the norm for Doctor Who historicals, they meet someone famous, in this case the Duke of Wellington. And as Michelle said, they get split up. So Charlie finds herself talking to the Duke of Wellington and having a life down there. Carries is captured and taken to a freak show. And the Doctor finds himself victim to a case of mistaken identity as the long-lost husband of a damsel in distress. All of them have to sort of, for a while, lead these different lives, the other lives that the title refers to, uh, and which makes for an interesting exploration of each of the characters when they're put into a, an unusual situation. And I loved this story. I thought it was absolutely wonderful. I'm not usually a one for historicals, but this one, something about the characters and the setting and the way they wrote it, I really, really enjoyed it. Oh, I, how interesting to hear you say that. I would not have guessed that. This is a really kind of a simple story and somewhat of a lighthearted story, which is sort of a, a nice change of pace after uh, all the, the kind of the big, broad and dark stories that we've been going through. Um, not only do they get separated from each other, they're separated from the TARDIS and they, they each believe they have been stranded alone in 1851 and that they indeed may have to live these separate lives for the rest of their lives. Uh, and so it's kind of fun. It's a almost a domestic, you know, story. Certainly the doctor and Charlie both have adventures, if you will, that are pretty low key. Uh, the, the danger and, and the jeopardy is a little more intense for poor Caras, who, who, yeah, does essentially get enslaved in this, in this freak show. But, uh, it's nice. It's kind of a sweet little story. And I hadn't even thought about the fact that it's a pure historical, but you're absolutely right. Um, and I enjoyed it too. I think for me, the, the highlight was Ron Moody's turn as the Duke of Wellington. There has a certain air of John Hurt, actually, in terms of the, the voice that he brought to it. Um, and I just love that character. And I love the, the humour and the way he sparked off of Charlie. And nearly all of the dialogue they had, I thought, was really, really enjoyable and entertaining. And just made for a really captivating story. I found myself grinning ear to ear a lot of the time as I was listening to this and really enjoyed the ride they went on. Legs are killing me. Bit of advice, my dear. Never grow old. 
dainty little feet you have. Not like my canal barges. Look at them. Nice boots. Uh, can't wait to get them off, tell you the truth. Prefer a pair of slippers. Soldiering days are long gone. All purely ceremonial now. I think you look very smart in that uniform. You remind me of the Duke of Wellington. Ah, ah. You know the Duke, do you? Oh, only from pictures. Oh. He was a very handsome man. Uh, he'd be flattered to hear you say so. Uh, the Doctor and Carrie's stories are a bit more straightforward and, and, and lack a little bit of that sparkle. But he are still in uh, well put together and, and a good tale to, to listen to. And as I said before, I don't usually enjoy historicals. That's not my thing. And I was ex- I was waiting for sort of the, the the sci-fi hook to come back in, and it never did. And it didn't matter because um, as the story went on, I, I just really enjoyed the ride. You know, there's some interesting aspects of the people that were involved in making this. Uh, the Doctor's storyline, as you said, involves him being mistaken for the husband uh, of, of Georgina, uh, and Georgina was played by India Fisher's sister by uh, Francesca Hunt. So there was a kind of a family relation there, too, behind the scenes. And you mentioned before we started recording, the the author of this one is Gary Hopkins, who we've heard a lot from, but on a much darker level. He wrote The Last back in the Divergent Universe, which is one of the darkest things we've listened to. He also wrote a number of the Davros plays. Uh, so so kind of fun to see sort of a lighthearted, simple. You know, I, it was just nice not to have the universe at stake for once. Uh, it was simply a case of were they ever going to get back to each other and back to the TARDIS, and were they going to survive their little dilemmas along the way? And it was a nice change of pace. Yes, and I, I think it was just a sort of an, a nice, light little confection that was in, in, enjoyable to listen to, and by far the most enjoyable one of these that I've listened to for s- several series, to be honest with you. Um, uh, and a, a highlight for me going back to probably series two before I had another story that I enjoyed as much as this. Thanks, Ian and Michelle. Um, I've also been delving back into The Eighth Doctor um, when he first started with Big Finish because they've been doing an offer uh, on their website. So you could get all uh, four of his first stories for four quid. So I thought, that's a bargain. I will delve back into uh, whenever it was, 10, 12 years ago. Um, and so far I've listened to Storm Warning and uh, Sword of Orion, which I haven't listened to since then. Uh, remembered enjoying Storm Warning a lot and it lived up to its reputation. I mean, that was the one they released episode one of That's right. Doctor Who magazine. That's right. Um, uh, so I think that that first episode was much fresher in my memory. Um, but the whole story, um, I hadn't remembered all the details. So that was there were still some surprises along the way. Um, and then uh, sort of Orion, well, it's a Cyberman story, so <laughs> which mm-hmm. I've already said I'm not a big fan of. Uh, it was interesting, but it was just very, very slow. I mean, not much happened in it. Um, what, in, in sort of Orion? Are you serious? That's an epic story. I mean, I, I remember. I remember getting to the end of episode two, um, and th- these episodes are well over half an hour. Most of them, yeah. These, getting to the end of episode two, well. and yeah. thinking, and thinking, if this was a new series episode, we'd be at that point ten minutes in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, I guess that's the whole point. That the, the format of the big finish main range is supposed to emulate the, the, the classic season or classic series, even though they do record with them. Um, you know, McGann, uh, who didn't really have a format apart from just 85 minutes or however long it was of uh, of one night only. The, the other thing that struck me, which I hadn't really remembered at all, is how much crossover there is of actors. 
Um, in in the the the, the steward uh, mm-hmm. from Storm Warning is is one of the people on the ship in Sword of Orion, and then I think Barnaby Edwards, who plays the South African bloke, then turns up will be turning up in in Stones of Venice, and I just for, I'd forgotten how small these casts were, and and how. How all the, how they were just kind of well he's back again in the next room but with a different accent and hoping you don't notice. In some some strange Doctor Who synchronicity, I'm I'm doing exactly the same thing. I I'm just about to polish off Sword of Orion myself. And isn't Mark Gattis in the opening scene? Is he the first guy that gets? Um, oh yes, he, it's, yes, it's him and Barnaby Edwards yeah. again. So Barnaby, Barnaby yeah. Edwards is in all of them, I think. Um, but I didn't <laughs> recognise. I didn't. I recognised him. I didn't recognise Mark Gatiss. I'm going to have to go and listen to that scene uh, again and go, ah, oh, that's who it is. No, uh, c- certainly. Yeah, he's, do- he's doing his kind of core blimey joke shop, man. Yeah. You know, the, you know, the guy from the joke shop in, uh, go on, ball switch, give him a go, 50p. Yeah. I think certainly I mean, I, I, in the I, early days of Big Finish, they had a very small rep, if you like, of uh, yeah. of actors. And, and sometimes they did get away with it. And, and, and other times yeah. they, they, they simply didn't, frankly. But like you say, Barnaby Edwards not only starred in lots of them, he wrote, I think it was, um, well, he, he's written a couple. I can't remember. <laughs> I think Nick Nick Pegg had written one. Uh, Spectre of Lanyon Moore. Yeah, yeah. And then he obviously he, he's also in Storm Warning. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, I'm not complaining. I mean, it, at the time, it was this was new Doctor Who. Um, I abs- I actually hated the the new theme tune at the time. Oh, it's brilliant because uh, I I thought it sounded like um, basically someone had put the Doctor Who theme through an electric razor. Um, which I still think, actually, it does sound like that, but uh, it's grown on me a lot over the years, and I, I do enjoy it. It's Dave Arnold, um, isn't it? Dave Arnold did it's that. Dave remix. Arnold, yeah. yeah. It was a bit cool at the time. It was like, here's the guy who writes yeah. scores for James Bond, Bond movies. Absolutely, yeah. And I'd still say that's the best original big finish arrangement of the theme tune that they've ever done. You know, prob- probably yes. is. Superb. Mm. You know, Orbitals I'm not that keen on, uh, despite the fact they... they dredge it out every time they're at a festival but uh, but we are we are severely digressing here so <laughs> that, that was meant to be a brief lead out listeners of, uh, of Ian and Michelle's <laughs> big finish review but there you go you you got another half a podcast uh, for your money as well <laughs> anyway I, I suppose we ought to wrap up and um, actually we'll, we'll say one more thing and that's next week it's at least one of Leeson's favourite kinds of episodes next week because it's our spoiler filled preview of season 8 we're <laughs> nothing is off limits anything that people have heard about uh, whether they, they know it's for sure whether it's just speculation we can cover in next week's episode Lisa you're around to join us uh, I, I would think so I think so I'll, I'll... I'll make it. I'll bring my earplugs. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know anything about season eight really, other than what's been released officially this time. I haven't seen any any uh, set photographs. I haven't, you know, I, I haven't um, found out anything that hasn't been officially announced. So yeah, <laughs> you'd probably be completely spoiler free anyway, listeners. Well, well, this 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 won't um this won't hurt me quite as much as it has uh, in years in the past on the DWP as we do these sorts of episodes because I have been fishing quite a lot you this have. time. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I've not gone as far as uh, scripts or um, um no. or black and white versions that have leaked onto the internet. But yeah, I've had a peek at so, so I know a few things. I know a few returning monsters. Uh, I've seen I've seen a couple of pictures that I wish I hadn't. But then if you go looking, that's exactly the kind of thing you find. <laughs> there you go. Now, Luke, you're pretty much a spoiler phobe anyway, aren't you? So we can assume that you won't be listening next week. No, I won't. <laughs> okay, that's one <laughs> listener down. <laughs> we'll mark off our numbers. Okay, listeners, thank you very much indeed for tuning in. Luke, thank you as always for joining us and being the intelligent voice of the DWP. 
so I'm not sure okay. what happened this evening. Yeah, and Lisa, thank you for turning up anyway. <laughs> On time. <Yeah. laughs> thank you. Listeners, we'll much. speak to you again next week. Bye for now, everybody. Cheerio. Bye. You've been listening to the Doctor Podcast. Yes, you have. You really have. Are you listening to me? You've been listening to it in your ears right now. You can check out more episodes of the show at thedoctorpodcast.com. If you can get past all the shouting that happens on that site, my goodness, it's loud. It's enough to make anyone want to shout and scream. You can find us on Twitter, which might be slightly less shouty, but still very, very shouty indeed. Facebook, which, which is a positive beacon of peace and quiet, but it's still very, very loud. And don't even think of dropping by the Doctor Podcast forums if you want a bit of peace and quiet. Oh my word, no. Some of the biggest shouters ever are on that website. My goodness, every time you visit the forums, the, the page shakes. There's that much screaming and shouting going on. It's enough to send a man deaf. Deaf, I tell you. Thanks for listening. See you later. Was that a little bit too loud? I'm happy to do that one again. It it, it did seem just a little bit shouty. No? All right.